One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to a bonus episode of New Scientist Weekly. I'm Rowan Hooper. On today's show, we're presenting a guide on how to think about some of the most important and mind-bending concepts in science, from artificial intelligence to mental health, from nutrition to virtual particles. And it all comes from a special how to think about issue of New Scientist that's out now. We're going to give you a flavour of some of the things it covers, and we'll put links in the show notes if you want to find out more. And you can, of course, buy the physical magazine for the full experience. To talk through this, we've recruited some of the features team who've put this together. Dan Cosins, Kat Delange, Abby Beale and Claire Wilson, thanks for joining us. Hello. Hello. Uh, Dan, let's start with you, Head of Features. Can you give us an overview of this special issue? How did it come about? We've got 13 different concepts in it. You know, take us through it a bit. Well, the truth is that we this is not the first time we've done a special like this. Every few years, we just take 13 really interesting concepts and throw the kitchen sink at them basically so the idea is that we do a sort of a concise and really clear-eyed guide to 13 ideas some of which are as you say mind-bending in the sense that they're really difficult to get your head around that might be something like symmetry in physics or wormholes or as you say virtual particles others are actually quite familiar and everyday Mm. but when you on closer inspection are actually much more complicated and rich than you might like to think so these are these are kind of the sorts of things that we often mention in passing in stories, and I focus generally on physics. So, for instance, we, we often mention symmetry, but symmetry is just one word, but actually within that there's so much depth. So it's a chance to really explore what symmetry is in physics and maths. Mm. And the same goes for something like calories. Calories is a, is a word we use all the time, something we're very familiar with, but actually when you really dig deeper, calories there's a lot more to it you know because it comes down to metabolism and the way our body burns fuel so the idea ultimately is that we can get some of these really interesting and stimulating ideas by asking the experts how they think about them you know these people who are the professionals right it's their job to think about these concepts day in and day out so how do they think about them and oftentimes when you speak to them you'll find that they will disavow you of a lot of misconceptions and hopefully they'll really enlighten you and you'll feel like you understand these concepts a lot better than you did when you started. So we've picked some of the we've picked these 13 things. We're not going to go through them all now, but um you know, let's dip into some of them because as you say we distill down what the experts thinking about this. So let's what about consciousness because that's something we cover a lot. Caroline Williams has done that for us. And what aspect is she touching on in this? Well, Caroline is exploring the sort of the mind-body connection. So in the search for the roots of consciousness, you know, how do the physical constituents of, of the brain give rise to our subjective experience of the world? You know, that's obviously a massive mystery. And you might think, well, obviously, you want to look at the brain. That's that's where you should look. But actually, increasingly, it's coming to light that 
you should also be looking at the body, you know, in terms of, and there's, there's a sense called interoception, which is how you sort of interpret the signals from your body. And increasingly, consciousness researchers are realizing, correct me if I'm wrong, Kat, that these signals are actually really crucial to understanding consciousness. Yeah, so these are signals that are coming from your internal organs, like maybe your heart or your gut, and creating essentially your sense of self, because your brain is constantly keeping track of these things without us ever realising it. And so the idea is that your sense of self and your sense of consciousness is being built from the body up into the brain rather than being built in the brain and then kind of sent to you somehow. And it, it just so happens that Caroline's written a book all about, the, well, that touches on a lot of this called Move, uh, which is a fantastic book. One of the things I found fascinating about the collection of things that we cover is that there are things like that are mind-bending, like like quantum gravity. But as you say, Dan, the things that we cover that are really, you think at first are really familiar, like nutrition and like calories. Kat, you've done the piece on calories. Can you take us through that? What's weird about them? Yeah, so this is something that um, I kind of started to look into and I was really surprised by how counterintuitive it is because when I was a teenager like in the 90s I could probably tell you how many calories there were in every food that you had in your in your house Mm. and because the, the idea of the calorie really lies at the heart of all of our nutrition advice and our weight you know weight loss or weight gain depending what you're trying to do it's thought to come down to the calorie if you consume more calories than you expend then you will put on weight and vice versa but actually when you start to dig into it it's much more complicated than that so the calorie is a measure of energy essentially but when you look at the food that you're eating you can put a number to it and these numbers are derived from old experiments where basically you can just burn food and see how much energy comes out but the body is not just a furnace you can't just put things in it and and measure you know the the heat that that comes out like you can in these experiments and when you start to eat real food in real life it's very different so for example take a stick of celery there's about six calories in a stick of celery we always hear that if you eat it takes more energy to eat a stick of celery than you get from it is that true (laughs) well that's that was the that's how I sort of came to find this out because I was like I want to get to the bottom of this question of is is, is celery (laughs) a negative calorie food um well it depends how you eat it right Ah. because if you have a stick of celery there's about six calories in it if you cook that stick of celery it will give you 30 calories so if you cook it in lard (laughs) <laughs> no, if you just if you just bought because cooking is a is basically an extension of the of the digestive process. So yeah. you're sort of pre-digesting your food and then it's just making more of it available to you. So that's just one example. Mm. But also, you know, you can eat a certain number of calories a day, or two people can eat a cer- certain number of calories a day, and it can have a, a, a massively different effect on how much weight they put on. You know, people are different, and all of these experiments were done on sort of very small controlled ways and then generalized out to the whole population and what we're seeing now is that that just doesn't actually make any sense in the real world you know if you eat an orange for example as orange juice it's going to be very different for you than if you eat a whole orange with all of the you know not the skin with all of the peel on it no okay all right so this tells us a new way to think about calories or a, a modern way to think about calories and we probably have been trapped into old ways of thinking about it well let's go to something a bit more conventionally weird as we think of in new scientists virtual particles abby are these even real i mean okay there is a clue in the name but what what are they yeah so the question of whether they're real or not depends i think on who you ask so i spoke to four researchers for the story and they would i think all say that they're probably not real 
what they are instead is like a mathematical tool that we can use to describe reality. So to kind of answer what they are, we have to talk first about particles and what they are. So you might think about a particle as like a tiny point of matter. A lot, I think a lot of people do, but physicists and in quantum mechanics, you talk about particles mathematically as ripples in quantum fields. So the idea is that there are all these quantum fields and each one relates to a particle. So the photon field relates to the photon and, and so on. So a photon is a ripple in the photon field. And what that means is they're, they're ripples that are permanent. If you just left them there, they might move around, but they wouldn't disappear. <laughs> they can be, um, if two particles interact together, they can create new ripples, which do disappear. They, these are temporary ripples, and those are virtual particles. And they can also be created when fields themselves interact with each other. Okay. Yeah. But they're really central to, they're at the basis of all the, our understanding of physics, of all the physics, right? Yes. But we don't really know what they are, or and they certainly, they probably don't even exist. Well, they're at the basis of the mathematics that we use to describe quantum mechanics. So, in the nineteen sixties, there was a physicist called Richard Feynman who, up until that point, all we'd been doing to work out how fundamental particles interact was just lots and lots of maths. But what he did was invent these diagrams called Feynman diagrams which you might have seen they sometimes have squiggly lines or straight lines and each particle has its own little um, line and you can describe interactions in a much simpler way that using them and what he introduced through inventing Feynman diagrams was virtual particles which are lines within the diagram so they don't go anywhere they don't come in or go out. Okay, um, I think for the sake of my head I'm going to leave it, <laughs> leave it there but there's more in the special issue on that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Claire, so mental health, right? We talk about it a lot more these days, which is great. But what is the latest on it? What, what have you been looking at in this issue? Okay, well, I hope uh, you're not getting too comfortable about mental health compared with virtual particles because I'm afraid in this piece we look at the fact that most of what we thought we knew about mental health has recently turned out to be wrong. I mean we used to think that mental health problems were caused by, we had quite a simplistic view that mental health problems were caused by too high or too low levels of certain brain chemicals, the so-called chemical imbalance theory. So the classic case is Depression was supposed to be caused by low serotonin, or schizophrenia was thought to be caused by too much activity of dopamine networks. And now it looks like that is wrong. So our understanding of genetics of mental health was also far too simplistic. There's never just one gene that predisposes us to a certain condition like depression. There are more than 100 genes that have been identified so far that each has a tiny influence on our mental health. So that's a just a couple of ways that we are kind of rethinking the old simplistic ways of looking at it. And it does make sense. You know, we are now, we are now starting to see uh, mental health conditions, not as a kind of either or state, black or white, you either have depression or you don't. But it is more like a spectrum 
with perhaps all of us on it somewhere. Isn't there also an idea that there's a lot of overlap between different mental health conditions and actually we can't really just categorise them so easily and everything's much more sort of mixed and murky? Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's that's also been the genetics of mental health that has pointed us more in that direction, as you say, because those same genes that those same maybe over 100 genes that predispose you to depression also predispose you to other conditions like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder or anxiety. So as you say, what we've previously thought of as completely different conditions, they might all have a kind of common underlying cause in the brain. And if that is true, I think that does, you know, require a kind of a complete rethink about mental health and mental illness. Wow, that's massive, isn't it? Great. Look, there's more in the special issue on that. So what have we done? We've done consciousness, virtual particles, mental health, calories. As I say, there's 13 things that we talk about in here. Another one that jumped at me at me was emergence. Dan? Do you want to take us through this one? Yeah, I think this is another one of these, not quite a weasel word, but a word that we use that you sort of think, oh, I have an understanding of what that is. But when you look deeper, there's so much more to it. So emergence is essentially like, you know, an emergent phenomena is something where the properties of a system can't be explained by those of its constituent parts. So a good example is is the wetness of water, right? There's nothing intrinsically wet about hydrogen or oxygen on their own and of course you know water is just molecules composed of hydrogen and oxygen there's nothing even wet about a single water molecule but when you put them all together you're going to get wet right it, it, you know um but so that's what an example is but the the other example is you know it's not just like consciousness is a prime example of this superconductivity is another one like you have these components but you don't quite understand how they come together to produce this phenomenon so not, it's almost like magic can we not predict the qualities of water now from our understanding of it at an atomic level, a molecular level, the way it will, you know, makes hydrogen bonds and stuff? Or is it still unknown, really, the, the wateriness of water? No, I think you're right. I think, I think that's correct. But it is an emergent phenomenon. And there are other emergent phenomena, more complex yeah, ones, yeah. that we can't get our heads around. Because the traditional way to do science is reductionist, right? You, you break large-scale macroscopic systems down into their constituent microscopic parts, and you try and deduce the laws that govern those parts. But when you're faced with these really complex emergent systems, it's much harder to do that. Mm. And, you know, consciousness is a good example of that. So the truth is, when you speak to the experts on this, and we had a right to do that, they say, you know, this is clearly a really important concept and a word that gets bandied around a lot. But the truth is that we don't really know how it works. And there isn't a huge amount of proper research into this because it's very difficult to do. So we talked to a few of the people who are actually doing that. And one of them is a guy called Eric Hole, who is a neuroscientist at Tufts. I think he might have actually left academia now to become a novelist. But he has a theory, basically a, a new approach called causal emergence, in which he tries to like identify the scale at which a system's variables have the strongest causal effects on each other, and hence whatever the emergent property is. And his idea is that, that you know this is one way to sort of get to grips with emergent phenomena and to then be able to explain how it works. Yeah, I think it's really important to um, study emergence in a really proper way. Like, as you say, reductionism has been the has been so successful, been so useful for science, but it doesn't do everything. We still need it, but we need a more uh, directed like look at emerge all these emergent phenomena. I think what's really nice about some of the things that we cover here, like emergence and consciousness, and even 
maybe even AI, you could say, is that the, the point of these special issues isn't to answer these questions. It's to sometimes take questions that don't necessarily have an answer or we don't know what the answer is yet and just try and ask you know those people who think about it every day as their job whose job it is to work with these things that we don't understand and try and try and learn from them and and try and kind of approach these really difficult things through their way of thinking rather than necessarily find the answer which is what we normally try and do at new scientists well yeah but this is the joy of it isn't it someone someone else has done the work for you and you can just read this distilled expertise into a a bite-sized chunk Another topic that we're covering in the special issue, it's a very timely one, one we're all familiar with, ageing. Graham Lawton, our staff writer and ageing guru, has uh, covered this. Dan, uh, give us a a taster of this one. Obviously, you know, the obvious thing to say is that ageing is inevitable. It happens to all of us, or at least those lucky enough to live long enough to age. And and with ageing comes age-related diseases, right? Like you get to to 50, you're probably going to have one. You get to 85, you're probably going to have a fair few of them. You know, and that's not surprising. We all know that. But what I think is surprising and what this piece really alights on is that amongst the community of biologists who research ageing, there's a sort of a growing belief that we have a pretty comprehensive understanding of the molecular and cellular processes that drive aging. And not only that, that we are beginning to see that we can, in a lot of these cases, we can actually intervene to either slow or in some cases, stop these processes. And, you know, this is not to say that we're going to be able to stop aging. But what it does mean is that we we have a better grasp on what drives aging and how we can create drugs that target some of these processes, for instance, senescent cells, these sorts of zombie cells that should die off but don't and leach poison into the environment and and then cause all sorts of problems elsewhere. Well, there's ways that we're we're figuring out in human and animal, in animal trials, but and in some human trials where you can clear the body out of these cells and start to basically treat aging you know, we're never going to cure aging. We're never going to stop aging, but we can start to we can start to treat it like any other disease, really. Yeah. Which was was news to me, you know, it, and it kind of seems a bit outlandish. But actually, you speak to the people involved, and they're saying, yeah, there's an increasing confidence that we can treat aging like any other disease. Yeah, there's been a long sort of struggle about whether to actually class aging as a disease or not. And this is another example of, I guess, all the pieces in this special issue open the door to a whole world of other research and that's a great example of what this piece on aging does because there's so many other uh, roads that this leads to look i think we'll leave it there just to flag up the other subjects we cover that we haven't really gone into in the detail yet there's wormholes uh, this symmetry that dan mentioned origins of life artificial intelligence long-termism quantum gravity and happiness <laughs> and uh, I, I have to say that you should make yourself happy now by going out and buying this special issue and we'll put links to it in the show notes if you want it on digital thanks to our guests Dan Cousins Kat Delange Abby Beale and Claire Wilson and thanks to you for listening do subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out and we'll see you soon bye bye This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 